Hey, it's Jeff here. After working as an automotive tech for almost 25 years, I can honestly say that finding employment with the right shop has been the difference maker between loving what I do every day or hating my career choice. Let me tell you, I've been there, but I've also had jobs where work didn't really feel like work. I love the challenge of fixing cars. So loving what I do, that's the easy part. Finding a good place to do it in, now that's been the struggle. And that's where my friends at ProMotive knock it out of the park. They're a recruitment company specializing in jobs for our automotive industry. A-techs, B-techs, master techs, service advisors, managers, you name it. They are constantly looking for applicants in automotive to link them with available job postings at only the best vested shops around the country. ProMotive has a team of professional recruiters that can help you with your resume, prep you for the interview process, and negotiate the best pay and benefits package for you. And best of all, it's free to anyone looking to gain employment. Check them out at gopromotive.com slash Jeff. gopromotive.com slash Jeff. Just think, you could be just five minutes away from finding your dream job. We as content creators need to do is show the benefit of shutting down your shop, taking that loss of income, and getting your your people trained. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another exciting, thought-provoking episode of the Jaded Mechanic Podcast. My name's Jeff, and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey of reflection and insight into the toils and triumphs of a career in automotive repair. After more than 20 years of skin knuckles and tool debt, I want to share my perspectives and hear other people's thoughts about our industry. So pour yourself a strong coffee or grab a cold Canadian beer and get ready for some great conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to another fantastic episode. Um, I've got a very special guest with me tonight, um, Michael Berg, the flat rate master. Michael, introduce yourself to everybody. Well, I am the flat rate master. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> An automotive technician for 30 years and YouTuber for like seven. Right, right. So um, how are you enjoying? I, I don't want to call it a holiday, Um but the the time away from work, how's that feeling? Um, oh, feels really good. <laughs> yeah, I imagine it would. So, yeah, I mean, you're keeping busy. You got your content coming out and everything like that. But yeah. um, and I know you're you're you go hard on that. Like you're you're one of the most uh, uh, consistent, I'll say, um, in your content, getting it out there, getting it at the I mean, you can almost set your watch by it, right? It's good. Um, and I've seen now there's a lot more of it. And I think we, uh, we appreciate that. So, um, yeah, no, I, I mean, years ago, if I didn't have, if I didn't put myself on a schedule, mm -hmm. I'd put it off. And so early on, I committed to doing three videos a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And so I developed a system that made that possible. Right. Right. So it was batch film my videos on Thursday, edit them on the weekend and have them ready to go the next week. So maybe it's a, it's a, a vague question or, but what made you decide that that was the avenue you were going to take? Like, I mean, cause we know, um, you know, YouTube 
and auto repair is not a new thing, right? There's a lot of people that have been doing it a long time. And, um, but what, cause you don't come on with, uh, a lot of the, how to fix the car type discussions, right? You come along with a lot of the, the stuff that I really get into, which is the, the industry stuff, the, the, the challenges and whatnot. So what made you decide to go that route? Well, you know, back in the day, if you remember ETCG one, Eric, the car guy, yeah, he would do automotive technician type stuff on that channel. And then he got away from that. Mm-hmm. And then humble mechanic kind of started his channel doing kind of that same kind of thing. Yeah. And he also got away from that, went to the, both went to the DIY and stopped talking about the industry for the most part. Humble still, still does every now and then. Yeah. And I'm like, this is stuff that nobody does. Nobody stays doing it. Somebody needs to do it. Somebody needs to help these young technicians that are getting into the industry. And it, it was just like natural for me. Cause I've always done mentoring young technicians yep. coming into the shop, giving them tool advice, giving them life advice. And it just kind of fit with me. Mm-hmm. So it was like, uh, just perfect. Yeah. And it's, 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 I want to say that it's, it's, um, there was definitely a lack of, of it, right? There was a need for it. I, I feel because there's, you know, YouTube is full of how to fix something or how to, you know, the training level that, you know, we've got guys like we can thank scanner Danner and, you know, all these other countless Brendan Steckler, Mario Rojas, all these guys that have fantastic content on how to fix the car. But I mean, sometimes it's like we don't discuss, you know, what the the trials and tribulations that we face, I think, out there in a big enough platform that can be seen. I mean, there really is no bigger platform than YouTube, um, yeah. you know, so it's like it was um, I, I always longed for that, I guess, was to see more of it. So. You've been doing, how long have you been a mechanic or technician? Uh, 28 years. 28 years, eh? What got you into that? Were you? uh, Uh, I had to fix my own and my dad's junk and uh I found out I was good at it and I enjoyed it. So So you were just kind of a gearhead right from? from, No, no, I, I was not a gearhead at all. I was not into cars. Never even crossed my mind to work on cars. It just... You know, mm-hmm. had had to, had to fix my own junk, and then my dad needed help fixing his cars, and then it just I was good at it, so right. and right. I enjoyed it, so it just it just kind of I went in that direction. Uh huh. What's some um, some of your earliest jobs? Like, did you start out um, with the flat rate thing? Were you like an in- smaller independent? Like, uh, I know that's where you were last, but if you've got some yeah. dealer experience, I think in your in your background, you've got um. Like, tell us about that. How, what's the, what's the evolution of Mike as a mechanic? Um, started working on garbage trucks. Oh, it was not flat, right? Yeah. Um, and then, cause what happened is my, I, my dad owned a garbage service. Okay. And so I wound up helping him in various parts of the business, wound up we rented a shop. So I had a place to, to fix the stuff. Cause you know, trucks are expensive. Mm-hmm. And while I was going to tech school and was doing all that, then while well, my dad got sick, passed away, 
I took over the, the control of the business, ran it for a long time. When I got married, it was, it, it, I was just, I was spread so thin at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, you think getting text to work is hard. Try getting people to ride on the back of a garbage truck. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, I, I had a buddy of mine that also had a service. So I sold it to him and then kind of, um, sold cars. That was my, that's actually literally my dealership experience as I sold cars for a little while. Okay. Um, then went back to working on cars in shops around local independence mm-hmm. and then took a four year break from working on cars to be a regional sales manager for a couple different equipment manufacturers in the automotive industry. Okay. And then when that, um, that's the only other job I got fired from was when I worked for challenger lifts, the vice president, her friend got fired from Chicago pneumatic as a VP. He lived in my territory. He was out, he was in, I was out. Mm -hmm. So then I, you know, I was literally on my way to North Carolina to go deal with a car that had fallen off a lift. And, and they, the thing was, it was in my, call report where I was going and they didn't care. They called and fired me on a Monday. So I turned around in the, I was past Charlotte from Atlanta, Okay. turned around and had to drive back, called the guy I was supposed to meet. He was already up there and he's like, wait, wait, what? And <laughs> you know, so decided on the way back, you know, the, you know, with everything going on in the industry at that time, I was like, I need to do something not this because we had a joke in that industry is like the, the names never changed. It was just the sh- name on their shirt. Yeah. Cause they'd go from company to company to company. Yep. So that's when I opened my own shop. Um, went pretty well for a couple years. The economy would kind of had a horrible downturn at that point. The, uh, private school, I did a lot of their, their, um, people's, you know, the car that had their kids there and I was real convenient to the school mm-hmm. school closed. So I lost most of those customers cause I was no longer convenient. Yeah. I lost several big fleet accounts because they lost accounts in Georgia, like one account literally lost the entire state of Georgia. So I went from working on a buttload of their vans to none of them. Yeah. And, and along those lines, of course, you know, things happen. My landlord started started screwing with me and we had some falling out and I lost my lease. So I said, screw this. I'll go back to fixing cars and not have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to working at te- as a tech in, and that's when I started commuting to Atlanta. Uh, I don't live in Atlanta. I live outside of Atlanta and worked at several shops in Atlanta and then wound up opening up the shop that I got fired from, um, I was employee number three. Okay. So you were in on the ground, ground level then yes. really of that place. Yeah. 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 So, um, you touched on tech school. You graduated. Um, yeah. what school did you attend? Uh, West central. West Nice. Yeah. And you studied just automotive. automotive yeah. yeah. Right yeah. on. Do you think that that's, um, was it, I don't want to say, was it worth your, worth the investment, but do you, do you feel like that, 
um, gave you a leg up, gave you an advantage. Um, was next- um, I don't know if it gave me a, a, a advantage so much as it really just gave me all the fundam- fundamentals, mm-hmm. you know, that I could use later on. Right. You know, figuring out, oh, this is how an electrical circuit works. And that, that might come in handy someday. Yeah. Um, I didn't get a lot of really good um, experience as far as that. But I, I got all the fundamentals and that's that's the most important thing to get out of school. Yeah, I agree. Because if you don't have, you know, you don't understand how ground works, you're not going to be able to diagnose an electrical circuit. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So that you kind of, you, you've kind of didn't just went in on your own thing then really. Right. Like, not, I mean, you started that shop, but you, you were, you'd closed out your shop and went to work for them. Um, a couple shops after yeah. I left, I closed my shop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, so this is in, um, Georgia. Yes. Yeah. Is that, it's kind of where you've stayed within that state. You've never, you didn't travel, like move around the country at all or. Um, I, as I was, um, I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I moved to Georgia when I was 11 and I've lived in the same County in, in, in Georgia for 38 years. Yeah. So that's pretty much your career home. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Yeah. It's a beautiful state. I've, I've been through it a bunch of times, but not, uh, I've never had a chance to like get comfortable and stay there for more than just passing through like a day or two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell us, you got in on the ground floor of this shop. Um, and you, how did you, did you start right away as kind of like, was that your designated role as a foreman or were you just, uh, when I started, I was a lead technician. Lead technician. Yeah. 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 It was only three technicians when we opened. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it expanded to a pretty big opera, uh, pretty big business right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, nine or 10 techs. Yeah. So, um, so what, um, what am I trying to say here? How, uh, how did you see that shop evolve? Like you brought on, like you saw some young people start, um, and what was their, what was your impression of some of them coming from, a dealership versus an independent like do you i know i know you've mentored all kinds um do you do you see a difference between uh the challenge of bringing one into the business um <clears throat> coming from independent versus dealer really didn't too much di- matter at all mm-hmm. when it really came down to it is how passionate they were about the industry right you know, I've seen dealer techs that could care less to, less about, you know, testing anything. They were just, ah, this is what it needs to throw apart at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've seen other dealer techs that, you know, were testing to the nth degree to make sure they were right on their call. Yeah. And I've seen independence the same way. So it really, what their, you know, what their background is really didn't matter to me as far as that. Um, when it came to young kids, it was all about their attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, are, were they willing to learn? Were they li- willing to, you know, when I give them a direction, were they going to follow it? Cause that was one of the biggest problems I had with some young, young techs is I would, you know, hang the, the fish on a stick and go, 
there's the fish. Yeah. All you got to do is reach over and grab it. Mm -hmm. And then I'd ask them about the test I asked them to do. No, no, I just sold that. That's not what I told you to do. Yep. Yep. And it's going to, yep. it's not going to be fixed. Yeah. So you're kind of, you're <laughs> giving them a lesson, right? An opportunity to yeah. learn a lesson there. And you're finding yeah. that they're not always taking advantage of that. I, I find that yeah. too. I've mentored a lot of, a lot of young apprentices through, um, like I'm Canadian. So <laughs> they call them, there's a whole apprenticeship program and the whole thing up here. Um, and I've been very fortunate to have that, but I've had some that it's just like, they just want the answer, right? They just want to know what part to put on to fix what symptom. And then I've had some other ones that like, you can see that, you know, flick of the switch and they get it right. You give them that lesson and then they, it, it lights a fire them and they want more lessons. Cause you know, I'm, I'm tired of the, and I'm sure you've seen it too in, in the groups and in the industry for years, how they say, oh, well, techs for work at independence, you know, um, can't do this. And techs that work at dealerships are, are only parts changers. And I mean, I'm, I work, I've, I've had a lot of background at a dealership and I can tell you that I'm the farthest thing from a parts changer, right? Like I've got yeah. the, and this is not me bragging. It's just, I think that's a, that's a crappy stereotype that's been out there for too long. And I think it's, um, you know, more people need to stand up and say, no, I mean, yes, it is. It does happen, but I don't, I mean, that's a technician problem, right? We, we know guys yeah. that, that throw parts at cars that doesn't matter where they work. They're going to throw parts at cars, you know, hacks will be hacks no matter how they're paid, where they work, anything they're hacks. Yeah. They will do the same no matter what. Mm -hmm. And so the flat rate master, um, that's, um, you, you believe that is the best pay scale for a, a tech to work? Um, the thing about pay systems is anytime you get into it, anybody gets, you know, butthurt about it, no matter yeah. what. I think in United States, if you want to make the most money as a technician, mm -hmm. not a niche technician, you know, not doing, you know, tearing ECMs apart and, you know, replacing a bad part and that kind of stuff. If you're turning wrenches, you're diagnosing cars, you're doing everything a normal technician does. Mm -hmm. The best way to make the most money in this industry is flat rate. Right. Yeah. If you become efficient and you can beat the clock, obviously doing it right, mm -hmm. that's the best way to make the most money in this industry. Yeah. I, that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't mean, I'm, I'm not trying to start a conflict or anything. I, I, I worked yeah. for a lot of years. I, I, I made, I made really good money at it. You know, it's, it's yeah. just, I, I find that the biggest obstacle I always found was the making sure that there wasn't too many, I always used to say pigs at the trough, right? Too many techs on the floor for the amount of workload that was coming into the shop. I just felt that always bred, um, dissension in the ranks, right? It always had, a a nobody wanted to work with each other, right? Everybody, it was a dog eat dog type thing. Um, otherwise when I've seen shops that there's that they get that ratio, right. It's not that hard to make money doing it. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it's almost easy, you know, and we always talk about the politics and the favoritism and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's two sides to that argument, right? Like, you know, how do you think about that? Like if, if you've got, for instance, you know, a tech that's really, really, really strong. And then you've got a tech that's starting out and he's limited. Um, do you take better care of that 
establish stronger tech? Like, do you do you put a priority on that tech, Mike? I guess is what you're, I'm asking, or do you just you know not do that? No, I, I don't. I don't favor anybody. Mm-hmm. My my when I was assigning tickets, my thing was is I wanted to give. I wanted to the techs that needed um, needed to be pushed. Right. I gave them tickets that would push them. Okay. But I also gave them tickets that they could just bang out. Mm-hmm. Same with the guys that I knew could handle that ugly, you know, screwed up car that's, you know, been to four shops, yeah. nobody could fix it. I still want to give those guys, you know, after I've got their butt kicked, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give them something that they can just burn and turn. Yeah. And so I always, my biggest thing was trying to make sure everything was as, even and fair as I could make it. Mm-hmm. So I never tried to load up, you know, one guy with all the gravy, one guy with all, no, it's like, you're going to get your butt kicked a little bit on this one, but here's a, you know, X, Y, Z car that you can make some money on right. and kind of balance it out. Yeah. And, you know, I was always available to help anybody in the shop, mm-hmm. you know, wh- you know, they needed advice on that car that's kicking their butt. I'm over there going, how can I help you? What, you know, this, this is where I think you should go. This is where it could be, you know, maybe you need to test this, et cetera. Yeah. But you, you know, for everybody in the shop, you got to push them a little bit, but on the same time, you can't just screw them over. Mm-hmm. No. So I always tried to, to, to work that balance. Yeah. A steady, a steady diet of garbage, right. Can, can make a, take oh. somebody with a really good attitude and turn them. Do you think it's pivotal then Mike, that somebody that, is in a lead kind of position like yourself that they're involved in the dispatch, like that they're kind of overseeing it. Or do you think, cause you know, Kyle, sometimes it can happen. We see dealerships, you know, you've got a foreman and they might be on a different type of pay plan or whatever. Right. And he's kind of overseeing, helping out a mentor kind of role, but then you've got an automated dispatch system or you've got a, just a, a, a person in the tower handing out tickets based on, you know, uh, what time they booked in and what, how long they've been sitting there. And I got to get that going. Do you think that that really screws it up or like, I, I think that the person that assigns tickets should be the foreman, mm-hmm. but on that same token, the foreman has to be more care more about the team than himself or herself. Yeah. Because if your, your main concern is I need hours Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to, if you're, if your pay is based on anything to involve how tickets are distributed, you're going to kind of basis that on how you distribute tickets. Like yeah. if you're just hourly and whatever, but you got to make yourself look like you do stuff, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're going to, um, you know, try to give yourself all the easy stuff that's, you know, you can just knock out real quick and then get back on your phone yeah, or something like that. So it's really important that person is, is no, the team's more important. They don't, I don't, I don't need to do that, that break quick break job. I need to take that nightmare off of him Mm -hmm. so he can get back to doing those break jobs and stuff like that. Yeah. And that was always my, my whole thing when I was doing that is if anybody in the shop wasn't going to have work, it was going to be me. Right. Yeah. Even if it was, you know, me handing off a crappy, you know, oil change on a, 2022 or whatever. Yeah. I'd rather they get the half hour 0.3 or whatever shop I was at was point was half hour per oil change. 
I would rather they get it than and me stand around than me take that half hour out of their pockets. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the person that does that needs to have that that mindset. Yeah. And that's one of the hardest parts about getting somebody for that position. We we hear that nightmare story all the time, right? When we talk about uh, foremans and stuff, because I mean, uh, I I've I've been through it more than once. I've seen the foreman where they kind of walk in in the morning and they're there twenty minutes early and they take the four best tickets in the pile that's already there that day. They go and do a pile for them, right? And then everything else gets handed around. And I understand why they do it because if you're holding that foreman at a you still have to turn X by the end of the day. He has to do that, right? Or she, they have to look after that because it's expected. And yeah. let's be real. That's, they need to get paid. Right. Um, yeah. So like, obviously you think everybody pretty much should be on flat rate, but do you think like, how do you make it work? Mike, uh, other than when you you're running into stuff like that, because when you say it's a slow day and there's not a whole lot of work, Mike, um, and you give the tickets away to look after your team, how much, what's your pay suffers then, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, it's, like I said, that's, you know, how I looked at it is always, you know, because I'm responsible, you know, Mm -hmm. when it comes down to it, if they didn't make any money, you know, because of how I distributed the tickets, that's on me. Yeah. If I, if, you know, like the shop I was at, anything that had, you had history with Mm -hmm. went back to you. Yes. So if you, you know, done a brake job on a car, it came back two years later for a check engine light complaint, it came back to you. Yeah. And so I made a lot of my money based on history Mm -hmm. because, because you always got it back. Um, so when I, you know, so I, yeah, I might not have worked on as many cars, you know, virgins as other people because of of that. Yep. Um, but I still had enough to keep, you know, my lights on and all that. Mm-hmm. So I, I never, I've always been in this industry as far as flat rate is if you have a bad week, it's just a week. Yeah. You know, there's always next week, mm-hmm. you know, it's like when you go, you know, I've, I had texts, you know, complaining cause they weren't getting paid on a job that they finished, but the customer didn't pick up. And I'm like, so you get paid on it next week. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, the foreman position, if you don't have the right person in that role, it's really easy for a lot of bad feelings to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I'm not opposed to a, fly, a, a foreman being hourly or salary or whatever, and a production bonus, you know, cause it is a unique position. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think the more, the, you know, as the foreman gets more into, into hourly kind of territory is they should be taking the nightmare cars off the younger guys and not having that dumped on them. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's a team for sure. What do you think about, we've heard different people discuss the scenario of like a foreman does all the diags or does say a lot of the inspections of, you know, cause sometimes when we use a diag, you know, it can be there, you diag in an oil leak, you know, well, you kind of are, but you're checking it out. And then they just pass that work off. You know what I mean? So if your shop foreman is like yourself, really strong on diag and you, and you, you scan a bunch of cars, you do some diag and then you order some parts. 
how do you feel about those parts being passed around to get installed by other techs? Um, it, it, honestly, if, if I'm making I mean, that would be what I'd rather do. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it came down to it, I'd rather do the Diag than the actual repairs. Right. Uh, a lot more fun for me. The, I've had that situation where the problem is, is you pass it on to that kid and he doesn't do the repair right. Ah, yeah. Cause the real repair was harder than he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then I get a comeback. Yep. So there are, that's, that is one of the biggest issues with passing that work on is who goes, who's the comeback go to? Yes. The guy that diagnosed it, the guy that fixed it. Yeah. Cause I've never seen that system work effectively for, for any great length of time before that becomes it gets kind of pushed off to the side and they go back yeah. to doing it the other way because it is that situation right there's that whole thing well is it really come back because you know how the customer can be you can fix an evap fault and next month the oxygen sensor decides to you know leave the chat and to the customer the lights on the car might run for very much the same way it's a comeback right so then yeah. you, you go scan it and then you have to explain oh that's not really a comeback i don't think You're like and you go through that process you know, when we start to try and back flag techs or we try and start to, you know, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't like it just I found it always led to uh, hurt feelings. And I felt that it always is you're just limiting everybody getting to, you know, a higher level in terms of being a little more responsible. They diagnose their own tickets. They install their own parts. You know, they deal with the fall out if it's not right or it is right or if they have a comeback it's on them right um yeah no i that's that that was my biggest hold up with that is is when it's when it's not done right you know it mm-hmm. it cuz like i've had to go back and fix you know comebacks on other techs that were either out sick or whatever and yeah. i'm like oh come on no come on yeah. why'd you do that you know so it it's I, if it, you know, normally for me, I'd always just, you know, fix it myself and not have to worry about it coming back. Yeah. There's a shop. Then after I get done, I confirm that it's fixed and then I really don't have to worry about it coming back. There's a local independent, um, to me that is, that's how they're set up is they have two senior techs. They do all the diagonal order, all the parts and the apprentices, um, uh, install the parts. And then what has now happened in that shop is the, the shop's known for, the apprentices are are giving a resignation and going somewhere else because, and both of them, I've talked to a couple of them, have said, well, I don't learn anything. You know, I don't know. I'm just told to put this part in and I get a very little exposure as to actually why that part needed to be replaced. Now, I mean, I'm not talking so much like if we see a leaky water pump, we know why the water pump has to be replaced. But, you know, oh, just put that oxygen sensor in or just put that leak detection pump in or, you know, ESIM switch or whatever. They don't really know, right? It's just they're told to do it. And I feel that that's that's not helping our next generation get to the level that they need to be to be successful techs, right? I think it's just, I think. No, I mean, that's, you have to, you have to, if, if you're not growing in this industry, you're just going backwards. Yeah. You know, so those young technicians, if they're not learning, they're just bolting parts on, that's all they're ever going to be. Yeah. And that, that. If that, you know, like I, I've known tire techs, you know, that's all they want to do. Mm-hmm. They just want to do tires. Yep. And I, okay, great. You do tires. I don't want to do tires. Yeah. But if they want to progress, a shop has to 
cater to that because it literally in a few years, those are the big, the guys in that shop that are doing the diagnostics and hanging it off to the apprentice to install. Yeah. If they don't train them, they're, they're going to just cycle out yep. until they find the perfect, just, I want to put parts on that's all I want to do. And hopefully most people don't want to be like that. Yeah. Although I've met a lot of, you know, techs that get comfortable because if they can get into that routine, Mike, of just, you know, I show up and I know that I've got, like, I see it a lot with transmission work. I know that I show up and I've got three CVTs that I can put in, you know, by lunch tomorrow. That They're pretty happy, right? There's some, there's some hours yeah. there, right there. And, and it's, they never want to necessarily go beyond that. I always, even my days at the dealer, I always looked past that or tried to look past it because it's like, well, at some point though, that transmission is going to be out of warranty and we're not going to see as many of it in the shop. Right. So because, you know, I'm doing a lot of warranty work, right? Not at a dealer. It's most of it. Um, so once those cars are out of warranty, you don't tend to see them as much because you know how it goes. People don't always go back to the dealer to continue to get their car serviced and repaired. So I was always a little scared. Well, what do I do when that transmission is not coming in all the time? How do I make hours, right? What's going to happen next? And we know that the way the cars are built now, there's always going to be pattern failures and weak points and stuff like that to, I don't want to use the word exploit, but certainly is going to be there for us to do. But I mean, I've always found that that attitude of it's just like, I want to do repetition, repetition, repetition. Um, man, if they pulled the rug out from us and built something that never broke, <laughs> you know, you can, you might be suffering there because then you got to rely on the customer wanting to actually maintain it, not just repair yeah. it, you know? Yeah. See that kind of st stuff just is mind numbing to me. Doing the same repair over yeah. and over and over again is just, uh, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, oh yeah. Oh, okay. I got to put a alternator in this, uh, you know, Honda Civic or Accord or whatever. I'm like, haven't done 400 of those. <laughs> I don't, I, yeah. Okay. 10 millimeter, 14 millimeter. Okay. Yeah. 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 And yeah. like I could literally do some of that stuff blindfolded and uh, like, like I know, you know, the, the belt pattern of most of the Hondas by heart. Right. Yep. You know, I, because I've done so many of them, you know, oh, I know I take this out, then I do this, and then it is, I do them in like no time, but it's like, can I get a check engine light or something? Because yep. this is boring. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think it takes a mix of both in a shop, right? Some people that are just, uh, happy with some repetition and, and familiarity. And then we do need, I think, some people that actually enjoy the, the 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 change up. I was always that type, like I love the challenges of, you know, okay, here's something that's only, you know, six months old, doesn't even have 10,000 miles on it, and it's towed in because it won't start. I love that kind of stuff, right? I hated yeah. how it sometimes affected the pay, but I love yeah. that it was like you got to see it first, right? You got to be, because some of us have a, a bit of an ego in this industry, right? We like the... No, <laughs> no egos at all. You want to you want to pump your chest out and go. I I fixed that right, and I think that 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 can get addictive. Did you did you get that like that way? Where I mean, you, I know you like a challenge, but does it? Did you ever have a point in your career where it got addictive, not to chase the money, but to chase the 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 harder and harder, more complex challenges? Yeah, um, when I had my shop, I was especially like that. I was the um, 
last chance shop for right. a lot of check engine lights to pass emissions. And, you know, and it's really hard to make money on a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, it really gets, it can drag down a shop. And yeah. I quickly realized that it wasn't a, the best way as far as business to do, to operate. So I had to put my ego a little aside and go, no, I got to charge for this or this goes away. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know, I can pump out my chest all I want. It doesn't pay the bills. Right. Yeah. Do you <laughs> so, see, you know, having, having, you know, realizing me spending four hours trying to figure out this check engine light that's been to four other shops and they're already broken in, in it to, you know, $2,000. Yeah. And instead I, I should have been working on that car that has, you know, six hours sold and the customer wants it back and will give me way more money. Mm-hmm. That's, that makes more sense. So if a customer is not willing to spend the money to, to really look into it, I got over the ego thing. Cause it's just, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. It just, we, we see know, a lot oh, of- yeah, I, I feel good, but yeah, I didn't make any money and I cost, you know, the shop money, whether I'm working for myself or somebody else. I'm seeing a lot of shops get into that down that rabbit hole though. Right. Like of, of that, Oh, you know, wrapped. Yeah. It's, it's a funny, it's a funny thing, right? Because the more, it seems like the more, well, Paul Danner's had a couple of videos about it, right? How his yeah. brother's shop, you know, the more known they become for being able to solve that complex stuff, the more people that are, 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 bring, and then I think about Ivan, like, look at how people will, people will bring some 10, 12 year old car, put it on a trailer, drive it across the country, drop it in Ivan's yard. And he, and he solves it and fixes it in an hour. And I'm sitting yeah. there pulling my hair out going, you can't tell me that thing came across the country and it passed that it, it had to pass a thousand texts that would have been able to do that same repair. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. It's just, yeah. And that's not me ripping on Ivan. It's just like, you know, have you met Ivan? I have not. I, so the first ever event that I ever destination event I went to um, was AST last November. Um, okay. Otherwise up here in Canada now COVID was a thing, right? We couldn't really travel. Um, and then, but up here in Canada, we don't get those kind of destination events. There is one and it's, it's not even as big as ASTE. Um, and yeah. the name of it escapes me at the moment. So it's, we are lacking up here in terms of, uh, you know, how involved we get in the aftermarket. Like, I mean, the aftermarket exists. We have NAP, yeah. we have CarQuest. Like I, I go to NAPA training, you know, I can get signed up with CTI, all that kind of stuff. But for me, my, my bread and butter, my training has been online. And that's so I've yeah. been following, you know, before I was on Facebook, I was on IATN. I didn't really yeah. say much. I just kind of lurked because I, <laughs> I, you know, I was out of my league there in terms of, you know what I mean? The minds that are on there, right? So, oh yeah, no, I, I've been a, I'm still a member of yeah. IATN. I, I mean, I go back to what twenty two thousand four, mm-hmm. yeah, and I'm a founding member of uh, Diagnostic Network. Yeah, so yeah, so but uh, yeah, yeah it, I can understand that being a little more difficult for me. It was a situation of like I, these guys are my, they're 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 like celebrities to me, right? Paul and Ivan and Eric O and all these kind of stuff as they are to a lot of us in the industry now. Right. Like I think that's oh, yeah. a, an amazing thing. People like yourself to come along and, and get this industry talking about how to do it. But 
Yeah, I've never met Ivan. I've never met Eric. I met I met Paul at ASTE. That was cool. Yeah. I met uh, Brandon Dills, uh, Brandon Steckler, like you know uh, Mario Super Mario. I mean, it was have not met Mario yet. Oh, <laughs> dude, he is he is a really cool cat. He is a phenomenal guy and like next level smart and then yeah. humble as could be. Like he's just he is the most approachable. Uh, dude you'll ever meet he's you know and i i gotta say this in the industry everybody is you know what i mean i have not had one person that somebody's even said to me oh yeah you know he can be a bit of a jerk or he's hard to you know he doesn't see none of them have been like that any of my experience to at ast was to meet these people that i'd read about in the magazines and seen on youtube and whatnot all just excellent people you know it's it says a lot for um when you hang out with Paul Danner and you realize like he is the celebrity in the room, like he, when you're walking around with him, he's getting mobbed by everybody wants to shake his hand and have a little five minute story about how he changed their career. Um, And you see somebody like that, that's just, you know, so humble about it. It's it, it makes your heart feel good. It really does. Cause you know, some people could be, you could get an ego about it. Right. And yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've found that the best in this industry don't even have that. I think it's part of the, because the job can humble you. Right. Oh, on a daily basis. Right? <laughs> so I think that's what keeps us more, more grounded, you know, um, like, and then to, you know what it's like, you put yourself out there three times a week, oh, right. Cool. You know, you get yeah. a lot of people, your, your haters and your detractors and just trolls. I mean, how do you, how do you keep that in perspective? Um, how do I keep it in perspective is if it's a personal attack, mm-hmm. you know, it's personally attacking me, not my content, anything like that. Your comment gets deleted. Right. If it happens repeatedly. You get blocked from the channel. Right. If you're disagree with my, my content, you can say whatever you want about my content. Mm-hmm. You disagree with it. I don't care. Mm-hmm. That's the part of the conversation. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's really my only thing about it. You know, I've gotten, you know, I get called fat. I think about it on a daily basis on my channel. Um, Dude, I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, like, you know, get the comments. I'll be like, eat a, eat a salad. I had a salad last night, you fucker. (laughs) Calling people fat's not even original anymore, right? Like, it's just like, call me, you know, uh, just think of something better. Like, I mean, it it just, it's, it's not original. I've heard them all, you know? Um, But it's you, you, if you're on, on social media, you have to develop a very, very thick skin. mm -hmm. Cause I could literally say on my channel, my toolbox is black and orange and I would have people disagreeing with me on that fervently that I'm wrong. You know, it's like, where do you, yeah, they've never seen nothing else to do in your life, but complain on YouTube. Sadly, there's a large contingency of people. that's getting bigger by the day that don't have anything better to do. And it's, you know, um, for me, I started out in the Facebook groups where it was actually where I first got my voice in terms of starting to network people and talked about this. And man, I got lit up a lot, not because I was necessarily wrong, but you know, people that know me and have known me a long time. It's like, if you ask for an answer, 
I'm going to tell you how to come to the answer. I'm not going to give you the answer, right? Just like you were talking yeah. about the fish on the on the stick thing. Yeah. Um, and that's not a popular uh, way to do stuff when a lot of people are on a Facebook group just trying. No, they want the answer. answer. Yeah, they just want just give me the damn answer. Um, so I've been, you know, I've had people call my manager at the dealership. I've had people call me, you know, block me, like DM me. And, and it's just like, man, it's just Facebook. Like, it's just, you know, it's not, it's your world is not going to end if I don't give you the answer that you're looking for. And the reason I approached it that way, Mike, is because when I was on IETN just walking around, yeah, there was a lot of people that say, hey, check this. But there was more of the discussion of how did you get to that result? How did you, what was your process? Oh, yeah. And for me, I, I spent a lot of time on Facebook. Um, when Facebook took off, I was not on IATN anymore. So I didn't see IATN. I'm not, I'm not on it now. Um, because it was just, it was so instant. You know what I mean? Like you were talking in, in real time. It wasn't so much IATN that, that happened too, but there was that, you know, you might, make an answer today and somebody didn't read it till tomorrow. Like now yeah. we carry around those stupid phones and we're, we're on it constantly. You get immediate answer. And it just blew my mind how so many of us were professionals, but the way we conducted ourselves was just, just give me the freaking answer. And I was <laughs> just like in IATN, that was so foreign. It was like, there was such healthy conversations about, you know, training and, and different methods and, guys talking about an oxygen sensor and calling it the tomato sensor. You know what I mean? Like there was these long, Oh God, Matt, Matt Ragsdale. Yeah. And, uh, what's his name? Yeah. <laughs> that's our, our friend, um, Fonslow. That's the first time. Like I, you know, I talked to him quite a bit and it's, I knew Matt before Matt knew who knew me. I knew that name. You know, there's all oh, these yeah. names that I knew from IETN cause I didn't reach out to them. I was, I was no one like they were, you know, a big deal. So, when I got onto Facebook and it was like, you'd see them, I'd reach out to them like, Oh man, I remember reading your stuff at IETN, but then there'd be all these people that I didn't know about. And it was like on Facebook, it was just like, they were just angry and frustrated and just wanted the damn answer to fix the car. So what you get a lot of people probably that are, don't follow you because your content is not fixing a car, right? Yeah. 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 Or I get the comments of, why don't you actually fix a car on your channel? I'm like, that's not the point of the channel. Yeah. 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 It's, and you know, there's, we talked about it, but there's so much of it now that I, I think that what I'm trying to do with this podcast and what you do with yours is we discuss the industry, right? I've never, yeah. I tell you right out, I don't, I'm not a fan of DIYers, DIYers, right? Like I don't, <laughs> I, if it were up to me, like there'd be, it'd be a lot harder to buy some of the parts that people want to buy. Um, maybe some of the tooling wouldn't even be available. And, and I don't think that, I just think that it's, you know, the, it's getting past the point of a lot of what a DIY can do um, effectively. And I feel that it's yeah. like, we're we're only enabling at this point incorrect repairs versus enabling proper. Repairs. Oh, you mean like you go on you know a forum to ask how you retract yeah. uh, electronic parking brakes, and they're like, oh yeah, d jump this wire yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Get your power and, probe, and, and yeah. yeah, and oh, you don't have a power and, probe. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Just just two wires. Yeah, just uh, you know. And uh, oh, by the way, it when you 
reset it, it really doesn't reset. Yeah. So chances are your rear brakes aren't going to work properly, yeah. but it's fine. Oh, don't worry. Cause the, the grinding noise is gone, but now the calipers yeah. don't want to work properly. So did you really get a successor? Yeah. Okay. So good for you. You got some old speaker wire and a battery and you, you know, you saw some light show from some spark shooting. Cool. But yeah. what about the other people that are riding around on that now? And then lay next to that they don't even know that's that was my always my beef with diy i always felt like if we eliminated more of the diy more of those cars would end up in a shop now i'm not saying that those customers are every customer i want i'm not trying to say no. that. but if we always i always thought well if they wind up in somebody's shop the industry makes a little bit more money next year that's how i always saw it so and yeah if, if you want to really piss off some people do a video about uh, R1234YF mm-hmm. being available to the general public. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, cuz I got ripped on that video. Mm-hmm. I hate that that refrigerant honestly. It's just Oh god. God, I <laughs> oh, that that stuff has kicked my butt so many yep. times cuz it's extremely small leaks will yep. still fail that damn machine. Yeah. Yeah. And um but it's like you know, fine if they can do the repairs, but let us do the charging. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've I've seen cars on one our R one thirty four A that had two pounds extra in it because <laughs> they just kept you know yeah. hooking the can up, shaking yeah. it because it still wasn't blowing cold because the compressor wasn't kicking yeah. on. Yeah, see up here in so, Canada, yeah. those refrigerant gases one thirty four R twelve. Um, and even 1234 YF are, you can't buy them without a, a certification. You can't buy the legit, the actual real gas. Now we have a company called red tech and they make knockoffs, which is, I think a propane blend and some other stuff. Right. And, you yeah. know, right. But so yeah, we up here, um, AC is very much like we still get a lot more of that work coming in the shop maybe because it's a lot of people, are just smart enough not to go down to the local parts store and buy the red tech can and put it in because, you know, they've heard the horror stories of the black goo that ends up in everybody's compressor and it could cost more money. Um, but a, a lot of us, they just don't fix the AC because they find that it's like, okay, because for us, if the system we know has a leak, we're not allowed legally to even put a charge in it, right? We're not allowed because yeah. you're now putting something into an ozone depleting air quotes. Yeah, you know greenhouse gas producing car. Um, so it's been, it's funny because like we all have to sit through this five hour course. It's nothing to do with how the AC system in the car works. It's just how to not kill the polar bears by accidentally venting it to the atmosphere. And then so the part stores could then sell the refrigerant to a shop. I have never had anybody drop off. You know one can or a, a skid of you know cylinders and then not once ask for anybody's paperwork so it's just a it's just a joke right is is i mean you know i i have never i don't even know where my license is for refrigerant yeah, yeah. um in you know the u.s there were restrictions on buying 30 pound bottles of it mm-hmm. But anybody can go to a parts store and buy the little cans. Yeah. Um, but I'm in Georgia, so everybody that they'll they'll do their AC before they fix their brakes. Right. Yeah. 
you know, cause it, it gets to 90, hundred degrees all the time for eight months out of the year. And, but yeah, no, I, I, that's when you're talking about handling something that could literally blind you mm-hmm. accidentally. I mean, easy enough. Yep. You really don't want, you know, some Joe Schmo messing with it. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, no, I got ripped apart on that one. Yeah. How, <laughs> how do you feel about like, cause I mean, it's, it's a touchy subject too. How do you feel when you hear some people say, well, Joe Blow shouldn't be able to walk into a parts store and buy brake parts or suspension parts for their car. That's, that's, you know, it's a pretty hot topic in terms of it. This very divides the, the industry, right? How do you feel about it? Like, in, cause I know how I feel. I, I mean, I'm all right with DIYers. Um, it's, uh, it's actually better now cause there's a lot more information out there than mm-hmm. there used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, good and bad. Um, I'm not really opposed to DIYers. Um, the, my biggest thing with DIYers is hopefully you're smart enough to realize you're in over your head and bring a professional into it. Right. Um, but I mean, it, I mean, you know, that computer back there, I built myself. I, don't know, mm-hmm. I can, you know, somebody can fix their own car. It's up to them. So I don't really have a problem with it. I just, I think there are certain things that should be restricted from the DIY. That computer though, it's not driving in the lane next to you though. It, True. It might not have the wheel fall off and, you know, or the, the, you know, we all joke about the brake pads in upside down, right? Or backwards. Like <laughs> I've yet to see that in person, but I was just talking to my friend yesterday and they said, I finally saw that actually in real life. It wasn't a stage thing. I'd actually came in and, you know, we used to think it was like an internet like folklore, right? Cause somebody do that. Like, you know, I've seen, I've seen the calipers upside down more than once. Oh yeah. You know, I, I, the, the, the brake pads in backwards. No, I haven't. That's the part that always was like for me as a DIY, especially as I got older. Cause you know, when I was a young kid before I got into working in my first shop, I mean, I, I fixed my own and I thought I was confident, you know, and then you get around some professionals, you realize like there was a lot oh, yeah. I didn't know. Right. And there was oh, yeah. a lot of things I wasn't doing properly. I was just very lucky that, you know, yeah. more stuff, bad stuff than bad. So that's how I feel about that. I, I don't, I, I mean, could we ever implement some kind of thing where it's like, okay, so you can't buy a set of brake pads to show some type of competency? I mean, no, that's impossible. Um, yeah. You know, and then we're talking about if we start to say no, no car parts available to anybody in the public except for professionals. Well, there goes the whole aftermarket parts industry. There is no more SEMA. There is no more. Yeah. All the stuff we grew up watching, or a lot of us, you know, Hot Rod TV and, you know, all that kind of stuff, gone like that. There's no, yeah. there's no enthusiast anymore. So I'm, I'm torn on that. You know, I, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a weird paradigm for me to try and decide how I feel about it. Cause some days I really, I feel strongly about it when I see some of the stuff that comes in and somebody says, Oh, I'm going to fix that. You know, like I had a truck last week and the wheel bearings, like the wheel's going to leave the chat. And, you know, oh, I'm going to fix that myself. That's even scarier than already seeing it and you not even knowing it's bad, you know. <laughs> so, because it wasn't there for a wheel bearing noise. It was there for an exhaust noise. Cool, right? And then you put it up on the hoist. You do your shakedown like you're trained to do, right? The wheels come off yeah. the ground. You check the front end. And, oh, this is, you know, not good. Oh, I never even heard that. No doubt. 
So, yeah, just turn the radio up a yeah. little more. All right. Or, I mean, the muffler had fallen off. How would you hear it? Like it was, you're running a straight pipe Ford truck. Like it's, um, so that's been, always been my thing is, is, you know, I'm, I'm always worried about the car in the lane next to me. You know, I'm not worried about my own that I drive, but I am worried about the car in the lane next to me. And it's even worse if that person knows there's something wrong and it's just, oh, I just hadn't got to it, you know, um, Versus, yeah. you know, the ignorance is bliss thing is, is fine. If they don't know any better and they don't have any money and they're just hoping that it fixes itself, you know, you've seen the customers that do that, right? I, I just hope that it fixes itself. <laughs> Whereas the person that knows there's something wrong and it's just like, oh, yeah, I got to get to that. You know, my feeling is you got to get to the phone and get it towed to the shop. That's how I <laughs> So. Yeah, either you got to make it a priority or you've got to make it a priority and just pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what do you feel about like unpaid training? So when we talk about these, these events, um, destination events or, you know, after hours training or something like that, do you feel like it, it, they should be paid to go? Um, I have done, I've only been paid once to go to training. And most of the time I've gone to like anytime I've gone to an event. Yep. I've paid to be there and it cost me vacation time. Yeah. Uh, the only time I've been paid to go to a training event was STX down in Orlando where my ex boss paid for me to go and paid for me to be there. Mm -hmm. Uh, every other time I've paid when I met Matt Fanslow at auto mechanica, it was on my dime. It was on my vacation pay. Um, I think if it's a worthwhile event, at the bare minimum, the shop should be paying for that technician to go. Mm-hmm. Considering he's going for the benefit of the shop, he should also be paid for his time. Yeah, I don't think that, you know, a shop should just get out of not, you know, the, the tech's going to increase his skills for your shop. Yeah. He should be compensated and he shouldn't have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. But so, so, so few shops really think that yeah well it's a huge financial commitment right like it's yeah you know different people have been tossing numbers around and you know some people it's like could be you know fifty thousand dollars to take a team to a destination event depending on airfare and if you're going to pay them for their time while they're there right like it's because it's hard to say okay everybody in the shop we're going to go to vision um you know, we're going to pay the flights. We're going to put you up in a hotel. We're going to feed you and everything else. Um, could you use your holiday pay, you know, or your allotted <laughs> holiday time to go and do that? There's a lot of us in the industry that to go to an event like that is kind of like a holiday, right? It's I'm getting out of the shop. Yeah. I'm getting away from the shop. I'm, if you're really nerdy and you're into what you're learning there, it's, it's a, it's a, it's like going to Disney world. Um, yeah. But for that tech that doesn't want to go, you're now dragging him or her along or you're leaving them out of the, the, the opportunity. And I think that puts them in a weird spot. So, you know, like for me to go at ASTE, I was not paid to go to ASTE. You know, I, I, I had to use my holiday time. Um, you know, I, I'm, it was fine. I needed a break from the shop, but you know, I was amazed at how many people I saw there that were like, yeah, there were, you know, their shops paying them to be there. Like they, yeah. 
you know, I think it's, it's, I think we need more of that. I'm just, we got to see some door rates go up or we have to see some costs come down, I guess, if, if we're going to make it a really big thing in the industry. And, and I don't know how we get there. What do you think? Like, I mean, I, I know, um, I don't know if you've seen them on YouTube, uh, royalty auto repair. Yes. Yeah. Um, a tech I used to work with that I worked at the shop I used to work at. He's Andrew who's mm-hmm. been in several of their videos. Yeah. Um, his boss takes the entire crew either to vision every year or to, uh, STX. Right. And cause he, they brought him to STX, but he pays for the entire crew mm-hmm. to go yeah. every year. Yeah. And he's done that for years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's, it's entirely, and he's, it's not a, he's not a huge shop. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's a massive shop, but the owner of the business has to take that as a priority. And most shop owners, you know, I get, I've gotten accused of being really negative about the industry lately, <laughs> but most shop owners can't see the benefit of that. And that's probably one of the biggest things we as content creators need to do is show the benefit of shutting down your shop, taking that loss of income and getting your, your people trained. I agree. Yeah. Cause that's, that's how you sell it is you get, the shop owners to, to realize that this is an investment in my business. Yeah. It cost me a week of revenue. It cost me a week of paying my tax. It cost me for all the costs of going to this event. But what do I get out of it is better technicians that do a better job. And that's how, how we sell it as an, as a, as a industry is we have to get them on board with that. Yeah. And unfortunately most shop owners just do not see the benefit of it. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, you, know, you touched on, on something there when you, you know, you've, you've put yourself out there. I mean, you always put yourself out there, but you've, you've taken a lot of, you know, people have, have made some comments. Oh, this guy's attitude is, 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 you know, toxic lately. And, and what's Mike, like, I've heard people say, oh, well, Mike is really shooting himself in the foot now because it's getting to the point where all the sour grapes is, is hurting you know, your opportunities. Do you, I don't think you think that, do you? No, no. I talked, I talked to a shop the other day and they've been watching my videos Yeah, and they still want to hire me. Yeah. I, I don't think being open and, and sharing your, your story is going to hurt you at all, at all. I don't think it, I think it's, you, it, some are going to like myself, you know, some are going to uh, want to hear it and are going to respect you for saying it and being open and being frank. And then others are just, we know the people in the industry that can be like that. This, the type are just going to be like, I'm tired of listening. And they're, you know what? It wouldn't matter who it was. They're tired of listening to mechanics, you know, grumble, you know. Um, and I don't think it's hurting you to, to be out here uh, lately talking about the frustrations that you're having, what you went through, right? Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's, that's what a content creator does mm-hmm. is especially when you're doing opinion. I mean, cause they're, they're a hundred percent my opinions. Yep. Um, you talk about what you're going through yep. and I've got a m- video go- coming out Monday. Um, I've 
you know, the title, the it basically is the title is, is I've been this industry's biggest champion and its biggest critic mm-hmm. because I've always done positive and negative content about this industry. Cause there's, there's a whole spectrum of stuff to talk about. I got to talk about the ha- the texts that are hacks. I got to talk about the, the shop owners that are, you know, not paying crap mm-hmm. and wonder why they can't get help. Yep. And I got to talk about the other stuff that's good. You know, you can make a great living doing this. You know, you get a lot of satisfaction from doing this for yep. a living. Yep. But it's, it, every part of this industry is every part of this industry. And I talk about every part of this industry. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I made a comment in that video I literally made a video called the good, the bad and the ugly about the automotive industry. Mm. Cause that's, it's the truth. There's, there's every spectrum you can think of in this industry. And, you know, and I, I actually, somebody made a comment in my, in a video that went live today. And I was like, you're just bitter and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, I'm not even bitter anymore. I'm actually relieved that I don't work at that shop anymore. Um, but it was like, well, what do you have? What what do you suggest I talk about for content? Mm-hmm. Sure. And all I talked about was like, yeah. you know, talking about the shop I used to have. And I'm like, I've talked about it before in videos. I talked about it the other. I think my last live stream I did, I talked about it in that video about why the shop went away. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, you just and I'm sitting there thinking. You just want me to 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 talk about it so you can see how stupid he is. He doesn't know how to run a shop because it. Yep. Uh, yep. I tell prove how smart he is right? compared to me. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, and then the two stages down, two or like the next comment down on creator the creator page is a video I did like seven eight years ago, five six years ago, something like that, and it's a calling out hack text. Mm-hmm. Like I've. I don't know how else to describe yeah. it. I talk about everything in this industry. Yeah. That's for me. I, I can tell you that I feel to keep the lines of communication open or not so much the lines of communication, but kind of share some cautionary tales really helps to unburden me. Right. So when people yeah. look back at me and this is not me, this is about you, but if you saw my first podcast I ever did, I did for ASOG almost two years ago, it's literally titled this industry's theft. Right. And it was because of where I was in my career at the time I was unemployed. Right. I was laid off COVID the whole thing. I was angry. I was mad. I was, you know, um, I was jaded. That's how this podcast got its name. (laughs) And, you know, because I'm, I'm in a situation where, yeah, there's job offers coming in while I'm laid off, but they suck. They are not they're the, the pay is not the culture is not right. Do you want to go work at Toyota for $25 an hour flat rate? No, thanks. I'll sit here on what we call unemployment and yeah. not because I'll make more money and I'm not interested in in being that for you. And you know, talking with with the guys at ASOC, that gave me a voice and I felt so much better and I mean, life turned around. I got a job, you know, um, I wound up at ASTE, but I can genuinely tell you, and you probably don't even need to tell you, unburdening your feelings this way, like I do through the podcast and you do the thing, is healthy. And it shouldn't be 
ridiculed and yeah, you got to have thick skin to put yourself out there. But I mean, man, if I had not done that podcast, you and I wouldn't be talking right now. And I wouldn't be where I am in the industry because, you know, it resonated with so many people. And that's what I love about like your content lately is because it resonates with so many people. We've all been there. We have all, every mechanic at some point has lost their job. Right. And, and had detractors in the shop and, and people say this and the scuttlebutt and blah, blah, blah. None of it friggin' matters. Right. We have a, a unique skill set that is always going to be in demand and we are always going to be employable. Right. If we yeah. want to be. And so for people to say, oh, well, Michael's, you know, really hurting his opportunities by continuing to make content. Nah, not at all. I don't think so. <laughs> not even close. I think, and you know, because when you talked about, you know, training your replacement, that really resonated with me and with a lot of other people that I talked with, because in a lot of, especially a dealership environment, I saw that happen so many times, right? You're the guy that figures out the the first of what becomes a pattern failure. You're the guy that fi- finds it. You're the guy that finds that known connection issue that known weak spot in the splice whatever well if you go and show that to people then that didn't lose their butt finding it right yeah donating their paycheck to find it um the next time that comes in that's one less job you don't have and i think that when when we talk about you know not training your replacement We have to walk that very carefully because this industry, I don't think appreciates the way we need to be appreciated that there is no exit strategy, right? So I, there's only so many opportunities I'm going to get to learn things, um, before I just, I, you know, our brains slow down, our, our bodies slow down. We don't fire as well as we did. If I'm always giving, 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 I'm essentially the people that can come up underneath me that I gave that all to, they're starting to become just as valuable as I am, unfortunately, in a lot of the workforce. And that's, I'm really torn on that because I don't know how to approach it. How do we, how do, what's, what's the advice for, I mean, because I know you say you're going to continue to mentor, you know, you're going to continue because it's just natural evolution, but what's the, how are you going to, are you going to do anything different, Mike, to avoid this happening in future? Um, <laughs> no, I'm still going to train. Um, I, I, it's, it's something I've always done. I, I, if somebody wants help, I'm going to do it. Right. You know, just like somebody needs help pushing a car and I'm going to, I'm going to drop everything, go help them push car. Mm-hmm. Um, if this kind of stuff happened, not to give away too much, but no, and, and I, I should, I, I should have seen the writing on the wall at that shop. Um, and my opinion of that is, is hopefully I'll be better aware of the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rather than, you know, not training. Yep. Yeah. Cause I think training not training is not an answer. Yeah. It just, all you're doing is holding other people back, mm-hmm. you know, and, just like I talked about when I was a shop foreman. I mean, I, I can't, I just can't do that. I can't, I can't take, you know, something from them just because I want to be selfish. Yeah. It's just not in my nature. I think that's happened for too long in this industry. And I think that's half the reason we're, we're at the, where we are, you know, 
Yeah. I just think that like everything that you have said in the last month, I've taken it as just a cautionary tale. I don't take it as a, as a, as a grumpy, disgruntled, jaded, you know, technician. I just take it as a cautionary tale. Keep your eyes open, watch what's going on, listen, you know, do the right thing every day and be prepared. You know, I think that that's, that's still a, a message that's getting lost on a lot of people is you have to be prepared financially for what is inevitably going to happen to all of us, right? Is as we slow down, as we turn less hours, as you know, less work may come in, the shop may go through uh, a change. How many texts might, you know, get a notice that the business is shutting down. Everything seems fine. And all of a sudden, uh, yeah, the the business is going to shut down and you didn't do anything wrong. We just screwed it up. I mean, you have to, I mean, that's, you know, I've, I've, that's why I've talked so much about financial stuff on my channel mm-hmm. is because so many people are completely financially illiterate. Yeah. You know, they, they're, they're, you know, and I've gotten some good comments on some of the ch- stuff I've done, but like most people, if, if, you know, their checks a day late. Yes they're bouncing checks left and right out of their account because, you know, they're set up to pay things past due the day their check goes in their account. And, you know, understanding that's not a way to live because if you're that close to losing everything, anything happens, Mm -hmm. you know, you get a car wreck, which if you live in Atlanta, that's can happen to you anytime. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. (laughs) You know, um, it's so you can go from everything is great to I lost my house. I lost my car. And while I was recovering in the hospital, I lost my job. So now I literally am homeless. Yeah. And most people don't understand that. I mean, it's like, you know, you have to be prepared for just shit to happen. Yeah. We see that. We see that Uh, tale, you know, before you know it, you're selling your tools. The very thing that is your livelihood that makes you your money just to cover, you know, a a medical expense or even we we joke about it, you know, sometimes how it's like the biggest hang up we have is if we blow the engine up or transmission up in our in our daily. Right. And I mean, it's for that's an inconvenience and that can really set you behind. Right. If you're all of a sudden like you've got a take a paycheck and and find something either a replacement vehicle because if you're a lot of the texts just drive junk you know or <laughs> as my daughter's sitting in the garage with a bad engine yeah right or if you're like it's okay. going it's going to hyundai on monday so oh it's one of the recall ones uh yeah it's a uh 2011 2.4 yeah yeah so so <laughs> yeah they'll knock that out in eight hours it'll be done it'll be back by whether or not they have one is the problem yeah so and that's that's what i always that's what i've taken away from it is is and i lived a long time in this career starting out with tool debt and the whole thing of yeah you know if 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 i lost my job or you know if the if the check went in late or something i was into i was in overdraft right i was paying interest now and living on a credit card to to eat you know um because it was just i wasn't as smart so, you know, I think that that's been a, a great takeaway that I've taken from you in the last couple of weeks is, is that. So the last kind of question I wanted to ask you 
or it's not a question so much. It is a question. How do you see, like, what's the what's the end process as we slow down and as we age out and things start to hurt more and we just don't produce the amount of hours um, from a flat rate perspective or even, you know, as a production perspective? What, what do you wish more techs had waiting for them when they are not necessarily old enough to be out of the workforce, but they're not viable young, you know, money-making machines on the floor? What, what do you wish could happen and be available for more of them? I think um, everybody's going to be different. Mm-hmm. I think everybody should be kind of figuring out their path in their career after they can't turn wrenches. Right. So whether it's, you know, Oh, I, you know, I could just retire done, you mm-hmm. know, stay home, go fish or whatever. Um, or whether you move to more of a managerial role shop foreman that does not turn wrenches, just diagnoses cars. Cause you figure if you're paid hourly or salary or whatever, and all you're there is to deal with the problem cars, mm-hmm. You do that for a lot longer than, you know, yeah. turning wrenches a day, day in, day out. Or you move to a teaching role or you just go do something else. You, you know, maybe you take some night school classes and figure out something that you can do. But you always should have a plan. It's whatever, you know, whatever you're doing in life. I mean, you know, there's lots of careers that fizzle out, you know. Yeah. I mean, just ageism in this country is a problem. So, you know, if you're in sales and you're, you know, I'm going to be a little, little blue here, but if you're a hot little thing selling something and you get too old, they're not going to employ you anymore. But it's a good, you know, I I used on Fanslow's podcast about, you know, a football player at 30, they're done. Yeah. Um, so as, people we should have plans towards the end of our careers yeah. we should know what we're going to do i mean part of that for me is youtube mm-hmm. you know okay because i can be the, the grumpy old guy on youtube forever <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. you know um because I, I see a lot of people and you know it's been discussed for years in the industry how and you hear it sometimes on the on the even a customer says it right when they talk to a mechanic and a mechanic actually has some people skills and some communication conversation skills, how they, we've always said, Oh, you know, if more techs would just become service writers, because it would be such better communication between what's truly going on out there on the floor under the hood and to the customer, it would be amazing. But a lot of us, let's be, let's be straight. A lot of us, for some of us, to go and take that role would be a pay cut, right? To go from being a tech earning X to to in a service advisor role, huge, huge pay cut. Um, the other thing is I was talking with a good friend beginning of this week about this, why he said a lot of technicians just don't have the people skills, the the, the conversation skills. They're, you know, it's it's not about an image thing. It's just they're terrible to talk to. You know, they're grouchy and they're um, not they're short and frank and you know blunt like a spoon like me um and it it doesn't work well so how do you do you see yourself in the future like maybe doing that could you could you transition into an advisor role if the money was there 
If I, I could, yeah. um, I have sales experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I dealt with, uh, when I was with challenger lifts, I dealt with dealer principals. Right. And you know how fun they are to deal oh, with. Yeah. They're, you know, basically the, the, the pinnacle car salesman and you're trying to sell them something. Oh, they're the smartest guy um, in the building, right? Yeah, almost never. <laughs> yeah. Um, could I do it? Yes. Do I really want to do it? No, not really. Mm-hmm. Um, dealing with the public kind of sucks. But to your point, no, most like technicians transitioning to service writers would be great for techs. Mm-hmm. Dealing with the techs, they would know exactly what they're dealing with. They would know exactly what position we are. The problem is, is most techs don't have the people, the, as you said, the people skills or the sales skills. Right. They don't understand how to bob and weave for customers. Mm-hmm. They don't understand that, you know, you've, you've got, you know, cause bluntly going, yeah, it's $1,200 to fix your car. You want to do it? Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, isn't going to, you know, yeah. do it. You, you have to, you know, smooth talk. And we go, we checked over your car and, you know, looking over the car, you're, you're the technician found this and we really need to look at replacing this part. You know, you got to do the the song and dance for, and most, most technicians just don't have those skills. Yeah. Could they learn them? Yes, maybe, but it's a very unique position mm-hmm. in sales is just a unique position. Yeah. Cause you have to understand people a lot better than most people do. Yep. It's very much you, know, you have to understand body language. You have to, you know, nowadays it's, you have to figure out how they are over text, mm. which makes it even harder to understand how to sell somebody. Yes. So, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a very involved skill that a lot of people just don't have. So I don't think it's, it's a viable transition for most people. Mm-hmm. It's, but, it's, it's something I think I'm going to wind up doing. Um, in the not near future, but I mean, I'm, I'll be 48 in the fall. And I, I keep telling myself by the time I'm 55, I want to be long done with, you know, doing the twice annual tire rush that happens here seasonally. And, and <laughs> um, I want to be away from that. Right. And, and it's, I feel like, you know, too many times the industry said, I remember somebody telling it to me 20 years ago, I don't want a mechanic as a service advisor because they wouldn't sell everything that the car needs. They would only sell the bare minimum to fix the car. What do you think about that? I think that's probably BS. I mean, you know, a technician that, you know, let's just say for me, Mm -hmm. I write, you know, when I write up something a car needs, the car needs it. Yep. And I'll notate on how severe whatever the, you know, car, whatever the problem is, you know, like it breaks or grinding, it needs it now. Tires got, you know, cords showing they'll need them now. Mm-hmm. This oil leak. Yes. While it's it's leaking, this can wait while they, if they do need to do the other stuff. So, no, I don't, I think a, a technician that, especially a flat right technician would be trying to sell everything. Mm-hmm. But that's also not necessarily the best method for people. Yeah. You know, cause if you, you're hit them with, yeah, it'll be, you know, you know, it needs this, 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 it's, you know, $4,000 and you wait, you know, sit there in silence, you know, you might've lost the entire sale. Whereas somebody that was a little more adept would have explained, you know, 
you need brakes, you need tires. These really should be done. Technician also noted, you know, this oil leak, you want to get that done. That'll be additional, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And kind of sweet talk them into doing, you know, a good salesman might be able to talk them into everything, but you know, they're always, you know, a good salesman is always going to try to sell them everything they can, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and you can say, well, a good salesman could sell, you know, ice to an Eskimo, but, and that's a different problem. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah it's, and too many times but, though, like we had an interesting conversation, um, the episode that just dropped last week where we talked about kind of that dynamic that happens when, you know, you've got an advisor that sells just a ticket and the ticket's handed to them from the tech and the tech says it's going to X, Y, and Z is going to fix the car and it doesn't fix the car. And you start to see a trend happen where, you know, it's always X, Y, and Z and it never fixes the car. At that point, who do you start to hold responsible, right? Because you've got it's almost like a team effort then at that point, right? Where you've got the advisor that's knowing, okay, this is looks like a rubber stamped RO again, and it didn't fix it last time, but I need my commission. And that tech is doing it because he needs his commission. Um, that I, you know, we struggle with that sometimes. I, I have in my career because it's like I get just as mad at the tech that sells that work order as I do the advisor who sells that work order. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, Neither one is being the advocate for the the consumer, the customer, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I blame both of them a hundred percent. Yeah. That service advisor should know better. Mm-hmm. That tech should know better. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I, I've, I've, and I've said this many times, you know, I, 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 my priority is always making sure that customer's vehicle is safe and reliable. Mm-hmm. I, if, if, you know, if I look at that car and, you know, a $5 gasket is going to keep them, that engine from blowing up, but I can make more money doing the, you know, water pump or timing belt or something like that. No, you need to do that gasket first. Mm -hmm. All they've got enough money is for one of these, do that. That's my priority. And I, it's, it's, it, it does piss me off to no end when people do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that technician should be accounted for accountable for him rubber stamping that ticket. And that service rider should be held accountable for, you know, enabling him to rubber stamp that ticket. Yeah. You know, I've had service riders question me, you know, I mean, I, I had this, I had, I'll go back to a, a long, long time ago. I had a service rider that I had a check engine light or not a check engine light. It was a misfire Mm -hmm. on an old Jeep four cylinder. Yep. And I pulled it in and I did the full gauntlet on it. It had a dead misfire. I checked for spark. I swapped spark plugs. I checked compression on it. It had a dead miss on cylinder number one. Mm -hmm. And then I checked, you know, fuel pressure. I checked for, uh, um, injector pulse had injector pulse on, and I didn't have a scope at that time. So it was literally just annoyed light. Yeah. Um, but number one, wasn't clicking. Mm-hmm. So I went up there and said, it needs an injector. And then service writer goes, no, he just put injectors on there. Well, one, that would have been good information to have. Exactly. 
<laughs> and two, it still needs an injector. Sell it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he argued with me. And I said, fine. If order an injector, if it doesn't fix it, I will. It's a hundred dollar bet whether or not this will fix it. Yeah. And so he, ah, fine. Ordered an injector from AutoZone because it was right up the road. I put it on, purred like a kitten. I never got my hundred bucks either. Yeah, surprise. Right? <laughs> that tends to be how it goes. I. But you know, I mean, it's you know, if 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 you, if the service writer is just rubber stamping it just as much as the tech is, they both need to be held accountable. Yeah. And I think when when we see all the you know, because my my own opinion is is on flat rate is that it's it's you know, and, and this is not to start the flat rate argument. It's to just say that I feel like it's it's um, a tool that's not being utilized properly. And I think that it gets a bad rap too many times because it's not implicated properly or implemented properly, excuse me. So, you know, I feel like when we see a lot of people that are detractors for it, it's because they've got some negative experiences from that when they've seen that rubber stamp scenario that we're talking about, right? That's my own is because I, like, I've saw it. I've been through it, you know. Um, I'm not against flat rate. I just know that for me, as I've slowed down, it's better to be in the situation that I'm in, um, you know, with a good hourly pay, uh, than, than to, to be fighting at the dealer for every little, you know, and I'll say the dealer because around here, I can't, I can't think of one independent shop in my area that pays flat rate around here. When you talk about flat rate in an independent shop, every owner rolls their eyes and go, I will never pay my people that way. I will never, you know, um, I hated that when I was flat rate. That's tends to be the attitude around here. If you want to work even, um, even the chain stores around here, uh, a lot of them have gone to a modified where they're an hourly and then they're bonus on their production. Um, there's not a whole lot. The only ones that seem to be hanging on to flat rate around here is the, is the dealerships. And I, that's been my only background to ever work flat rate. And I don't think the guys that can go into the aftermarket and work on any make and model and make a living flat rate, my hat's off to you because I had a hard enough time. Well, not a hard enough time, but I mean, I, I was good because I knew my product well, and that was the only product I had to know to that level. Right. Well, if you start to add in all the other problem, you know, pattern failures and knowing the product, it, it's 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 daunting you know it really is i i I feel you have the advantage in the aftermarket you don't have warranty pay yes true (laughs) yeah so it's a little easier not to get your butt handed to you on a card that you're not familiar with um but you know again as i've said before um i don't care how you get paid Mm -hmm. as 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 a fact. I don't care how anybody in this industry pay, gets paid. Yeah. You know, I don't care if you get, you know, paid in flamingo units <laughs> or fruit as a BMW calls them. Yeah. Who cares? All I care about is that technicians in this industry make the most amount of money they can yeah. for doing the job they do. You know, it, who cares, you know, what they call, how you get paid, mm-hmm. whether it's hourly, hourly with commission, salary, flat rate, you know, whatever. It's the number on your paycheck that matters. Yep. And I want 
everybody in this industry that's a technician to get the most amount of money they can. You're you have a finite lifespan in this industry. Yep. And so you need to ma- maximize your income for that time you're able to do this job. So you don't you're not 90 years old working at Walmart just so you can buy a can of tuna to eat. Yeah. Yeah. Talk, you know, talk about I mean, that, that's, that, that's what I advocate for is not, I don't, who cares how you get paid? Mm-hmm. I mean, I might, like I said earlier in this thing, you know, if you, the, the way you make the most money in, in the United States in this industry is firing. Mm-hmm. Cause if you're efficient, that's how you make the most in most cases, all of them, probably not. But in my experience, that's how you make the most money. And that's what I care about is the technicians that are doing this, make the most money they can doing this job. Yeah. I think that's an excellent point to leave off at. And I, you know, I, I appreciate you, you, you coming on here and I wanted you to feel comfortable and know that this was not going to be, you know, a a jump on mic type thing. You know, (laughs) I, I wanted you to be, feel like, you know, and I, I know you got thick skin, you know, you're not worried. Right. Um, but I wanted you to just like, I wanted you to know that I appreciate you coming on and, and saying this and, and, and saying everything, because I think a lot of what you have said for years has been misunderstood. And, um, you know, and that's not because you haven't delivered it properly. I just feel sometimes the algorithm is people read the headline and then they don't get the whole message. And that's why, you know, we talked about when, before there was this podcast and there was the ASOC podcast, you know, I had been talking to Lucas and David saying, man, I would love to hear him do a podcast. I really would. And I, I can't thank you enough, Michael, for coming in and choosing mine. Honestly, it means, it means the world to me because, you know, you're a very well-established person within the industry. Um, you're going to get a lot of people are going to listen to this and, you know, uh, say, Oh, he's a grouchy old bugger. And then there's going to be a lot of people that I think, Mike, are going to listen to this and go, wow, he actually does make a lot of sense. And, you know, I want to thank you for that. Really, honestly, you do. I know you get thanked a lot, but thank you for for telling your story, putting yourself out there after what is a a really difficult time. And don't stop, man. Keep you keep doing you know, what it is you have to do, like we talked about to unburden, because I think that that is, that's going to be the best thing for all parties. I think it's going to be the best thing for the industry. I think it's going to be the best thing for Mike. I think it's just the best. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of like therapy, (laughs) but I appreciate you having me on. It was fun. Yeah, for sure, man. Thank you very much. We'll, uh, we'll talk again. Anytime you want to be on here, you let me know. You got something you want to talk about. I'll make room for you anytime. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody.